Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to another podcast of Loving the Christ Life. Thank you for being with us as we search the scriptures each and every week with Warren Litzman and the wonderful, wonderful sessions that he left behind for all of us to take advantage of. And we're so thankful to be able to bring it to you each week, a different podcast. Now, we're in a study from Warren about the cross. It's fantastic. The response has been amazing, and we're going to continue right along. This is part number 14, Warren Litzman and the cross. John chapter 12. If we're going to concentrate on and give some time to those who spent time at the cross or were located in the crowd there, there's certainly another that we must spend some time thinking about. One who was at the cross with a much greater feeling, greater love, and greater power than anyone else. And that was the Heavenly Father. So I want us to look into what was going on with him. while the acts and the scene at Golgotha was taking place. Great interest from God the Father. The interest was greater than I could ever describe or explain. I could never bring together enough scripture by my greatest of speculation to tell you how deeply involved the Heavenly Father was at the scene of Calvary. I have great problems with people who don't understand who God is. There's a strong group of people, particularly in Pentecostalism, that believe that God is one, that he's just one person, and by that he is nothing else. So in the end, they make Jesus the Father because they have no way of explaining God otherwise. The Trinity has always been a problem to some people. But since I came into the Christ life, I can see that the plan of God doesn't work without a Trinity. It's impossible for it to work. The simple facts are that there is but one God. The Bible says that many times. There is one God who was able to demonstrate and express himself in three distinctive personality traits. Not three distinctive personalities, but three distinctive personality traits. Every one of us have some distinctive personality traits, and then we have something else. Some of you can love the Lord, and some of you love automobiles. You can love your husband, and you can love your children. And you have distinctive personality traits involved in those. And it doesn't make you two different persons, but it means of one person that you have this ability to share yourself in these other ways. Well, the simple fact was God had a plan. Most of the Bible is given to him as a single God with a plan. 
But in his plan, he literally shared the whole of his personality with at least two others who were distinctive in manifesting his personality. So when we speak of the Trinity, we speak of God the Father. That's one distinctive personality of God. We speak of God the Son. That's another distinctive personality of God. And we speak of God the Holy Spirit. And the only time God ever became flesh was in the Son. God in the flesh. But you have to understand him not as three persons, but as three distinctive personalities that are manifested. One through a distinctive earthly person. Holy Spirit has never been manifested as a person. God the Father has never been manifested as a human type person. But they are very distinctive in the plan of God. The plan of God was like this. He drew up a plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do. The plan, however, centered around the fact that he was willing to pay the price to make his plan work. The price was paid through that distinctive person of Jesus, that part of him that was the son. And then the Holy Spirit was important to the plan because if God was to put another life in an existing creature, it would not fit any knowledge that was ever known. It would be beyond human understanding. He would not create a new human, but he would take an old life out of the existing human and put a new life in. And that would be so far beyond people's comprehension. As you know, you can sit in a church 50 years and never have that explained to you, even though they're good Christians. They don't understand God's plan. So there was a part of God that we call the Holy Spirit that was to explain this. And Jesus was very definite in this in his ministry, in his last message, in fact, clearly written in John 14, 15, and 16 chapters, that the Holy Spirit would come with the one purpose of defining, explaining, and revealing Christ as life to human beings. See, that was necessary. So there was a thing in God that wanted us to be in his family, and he would make us sons and daughters by the one son. But there was another thing in God that would make him want to explain all that. And so there was a distinctive ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is God, the Holy Spirit, that would be the one who would reveal and explain that. Sad to say, uh, great numbers of people have used and misused the Holy Spirit to their own ends and have never allowed him to be that teacher of this person Christ. People say to me, why doesn't my preacher teach us that Christ lives in the believer? It's simple. The Holy Spirit has not had a way and a means of ministering to them because that's the only way they're going to know. Nothing in science can explain another person living in you and nothing in existing religions can explain. There is no existing religion that says that you get a new life by another person put in you. So you've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit to understand that. People filled with the Holy Spirit should have come to that. But we had a tendency to take what the Holy Spirit could do in power, anointing, and unction, and blessing, and turn it into something for us. 
rather than something for Christ, revealing that he was already in us. So God had a plan that was to be manifested. The heart of that plan would have to be in the Father, because the plan is not the plan of the Son, and it's not the plan of the Holy Spirit. The plan is the Father's plan. It's something he wanted. It's something that was important to him. The plan of the Father. I've already mentioned to you somewhat about the plan. But we have to give attention that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that the first and foremost factor in the Father's mind was that his plan was at work. The plan was to get children of his own. The plan was he would birth his own children who would live in his house. Now you see how distinctive that is? That's what makes the born again and grace a different message. Because it is the fulfillment of the Father's desire and plan. That's what grace is all about. God is getting what he wants. His way. He's birthing his own children. He's going to train them by the Holy Spirit. The life that is in them is the life of his dear son, the only one that ever pleased him. And so he is a father. Most of all, at the cross, God is a father. Most of all. He's overseeing. He's conducting every detail. There's not anything that takes place at the cross that's outside the boundaries of his plan. Evil men are not doing one thing that is contrary to what needs to be done. We have the politicians like Pilate, Caiaphas, and Annas. But they don't do one thing that's outside the boundaries of the plan. Because you see, he doesn't turn that moment over to human beings. While human beings are instruments that are used, he doesn't turn that moment over to them. Just like God uses the devil today. He uses Satan. Satan is a convenient tool in the Father's hands. But he doesn't turn the thing over to him. He uses it. And so he used people at the cross. There wasn't one thing that happened to Jesus that didn't fit the plan. Somehow in God's thinking, as a father, everything was necessary that took place. I've recorded to you the horribleness of it. The blood. The hurt, the pain. But nothing took place that didn't fit the plan. So while all this was going on at Calvary, God was in control. Every bit of it. There couldn't be a slip-up. There couldn't be a failure. There couldn't be a point that didn't fit the plan. It had to all fit. 
if it was going to cost the price of his only son, his most priceless possession, then there couldn't be a failure anywhere. It had to work clockwise. Perfect. And so it did. Everything worked to perfection. The plan, the plan of God was an operation. Have you ever noticed how when human beings get hold of parts of the Bible, they ignore what God is doing and make what they see and what they feel to be so important until they never come under the inspiration of what God is doing. Changed my life one day when these thoughts came to me that I was so interested in winning souls and changing lives and getting people into Christ. When the Holy Spirit said to me so sweetly, it's not your plan, it's His. You may fail, but He won't. He may use you, He may not, but He's got a plan and it's working. Oftentimes, whenever we want to do something in religion, we put heavy pressure on people that we'll miserably fail God if we don't get this done. I can remember times when I was pastoring and I was building buildings, I'd say to the people, folks, this building is our testimony and we're going to fail God if we don't do this right. (laughs) See, what I didn't know was that in God's plan, there is no failure. How can I say that? It's simple. It cost him his most priceless possession for the plan to be in operation. Do you think he would allow his son to be killed and then turn around and have an inept plan? What do you think? Do you think it's possible that that will happen? Churches fail. Men fail. People fall short. We have the little saying, Jesus never fails. The depth of it is, The Father never fails because of the investment in His family. Now that's not to mean that we sit by and do nothing that's going to all work out. What it means is if God can't use you, if you don't fall into place, if you don't understand what he's doing, he'll have somebody else. And if your attitude is, well, if he wants somebody else, let him have him. I'm tired. (laughs) A chastening will come because he's father and he'll chasten all his children whom 
he loves. I have people come to me every once in a while and say, well, God loves me. He's not going to chasten me. I take them right to the scripture where it says the ones he loves, the ones he's going to chasten. So I want you to get that point. Everything in the plan's working out. Jesus is going to come to receive the body, the Christians, the born again off this earth just in his time. See, I hope you can understand what I'm saying there because so many are blinded by modern day prophecy that they need to understand that. Jesus isn't coming when Israel does something. How foolish that would be if Israel was a time clock for the rapture. That's a bunch of failing people there if there ever was one. What was bought and purchased at the cross cannot be measured. But what human beings do, it has to be something on God's part. So it is. Jesus is coming when the Father's ready. He's coming when everything in the plan has come to that point. Israel's going to be liberated when it comes to that point. We need to give God a little bit of credit. You say, well, the old world's just getting worse and worse. The devil's going to take it away. Foolish thought. devil's always been here. Somebody says it's getting bad. You know the worst day it was for the devil was the day Adam and Eve believed what he said because that put the whole world under sin. We would have had it pretty good if it hadn't been for that day. So God has a plan. It's all working just right. And when he sees his son going through the cruelty of the cross... His heart says it hurts, but his mind says that's what it cost. That's what it cost. So he has a plan. Hard for anybody to understand that. There's some of you here that just don't think what happens to you isn't in the plan. How many times? 13, 14 times Paul says all things are of God. It's in the plan. See, we don't really believe that. It's always been hard for people outside of God to really believe that everything is okay. But it is. In the plan, it's okay. Back when he hung on the cross, I can imagine what was happening to the angelic host. Now, they were like a bunch of servants who were keenly, totally dedicated to their master. And if they loved anybody, they loved Jesus. And they had been following the events. But when they saw Jesus hanging on the cross, I've often wondered about the angels. Jesus had said, he's so close to him, he could call legions of them to come down and deliver him. 
But I see the angels up there, and I see some of them go over and say, Father, did you see that man? He drove nails right in the hands of Jesus. Can't you do something about it? Or maybe one of them said, Father, look at the awful thing they did in mocking and making fun of him. Put a crown on his head of thorns. Don't you think we ought to do something about that? See, they were like we are. Things go bad. Things don't look right. And the first thing we want is for our Father to intervene and do something. I was listening to a, a, a Jewish radio program not long ago, and he went off the air saying, pray for Israel that God will do something for Israel. I thought if there's anything in this book that says what God's going to do for Israel, it's there. You don't have to worry about it. But you see, when we see trouble and trial, we think God has to do something about it right then and there. Now in the kingdom, when they wanted something done, they stomped their foot and shook their fist at God the Father and said, you said it, you better take care of it. As if God would violate his own plan. As if he'd go back on his own words. He's father. He's got it in his hands. He's got it in control. And so the angels were ready to do a battle. Boy, they thought if all those squirmish disciples are going to be out on the hillside hanging themselves, cursing, and scared to death, he's got no close followers because there isn't anybody there he helped. There's not anybody going to help him. Father, how about letting us go down there and do something? Straighten out that mess. You see, angels don't have that feeling. They don't know the joy of a redeemed life. They don't know the thrill of being saved. They never will. They're created beings. They'll never have the joy of Christ living in a created being such as us. So they have no feeling for that. So the father probably had this going on. I don't know if the father and the devil are in conversation like they were back Testament. But if the devil showed up, he probably said, you know what? I finally got you in a trap, haven't I? I'm going to kill your most priceless possession. We'll hear from him later. But the Father has it in control. And if I could get that message across to you, it'd help you. I don't have to sit here and say what you folks need is more faith. What you folks need to do is repent of all your little sins. What you folks need to do is get more faithful. We need a better offering. I don't have to say that. I can look at you and know Christ lives in you. 
And if you're not doing what you ought to do, it's because you don't know the Christ in you. See, that's why I never ask for an offering. If the people who hear this message don't know the Jesus that's in them, then they got a problem because the Jesus in them takes care of his word, takes care of his message. So the father watches this scene from heaven. He watches what's going on. To the world, it went wrong. I read a book not long ago from a man who was trying to prove the validity of Jesus dying on the cross. And when I got through, I came up with this idea. Men still don't think God knew what was going on at Calvary. We could say sin put Jesus there would be partly right. We could say the devil put Jesus there. We'd be partly right. We could say the Romans put Jesus there. We'd be partly right. We could say Judaism put him there. And we'd be partly right. But if you want to be totally right, you've got to say the Father, in agreement with Jesus, put Christ on the cross. Well, our time is up for today. We have to stop here, but we will pick up next week where we left off. We still have a couple of more of these wonderful sessions from Warren Litzman on the cross to bring to you. Now, please check out our website, christ-life.org, christ-life.org. Read all about this wonderful in Christ message and our wonderful way that we love to live in Christ. And the bookstore is wide open. Wonderful books, videos, tapes that Warren left behind that you can have right in your own home. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman, of course, for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful studies. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.